Hello, viewers and listeners. What's up? MTG Goldfish Podcast, episode 52, is live. We have a, a really special uh, lineup for you all. The extended cast is here. Uh, so myself, Richard, Seth, we have Jake on, and Tomer's going to be joining us in a few minutes. And we have some awesome guests for you guys uh, coming up. So Wedge will be joining us later on in the cast, as will Chris Van Meter to close out the cast, and we will be taking questions the entire time. So this cast is basically for everyone who has supported us this past year. Thank you so much for your comments, your fish mail, uh, you know, your comments on the articles, just everything uh, on social media. Thank you so much. So this is the extended cast. We have Jake on with us right now. What is up, Jake? Hey, everybody. Seth, what's up, buddy? What is going on, everyone? Super excited. This is going to be a sweet cast. Yeah, yeah. So just to reiterate, again, Wedge and CVM will be on later. Richard, how's it going? Hey, guys. What's going on? All right. So to start it off, uh, we wanted to talk a little bit about... Uh, we didn't get to talk about it that much last cast, so we wanted to just kind of close the book on it. Uh, the pre-release was this past weekend, and I think Jake was the only one that went. <laughs> uh, hey, I went. So, I went. I oh, okay, okay, I Richard. Yeah. Yes. Midnight. So we are going to get their pre-release stories and their thoughts about uh, Oath of the Gate Watch Limited and their and you know their experiences with that. Uh, we wanted to talk briefly about Oath of the Gate Watch just to kind of sum things up on every facet. Uh, Tomer and Jake giving us uh, limited and EDH implications. Seth and I our financial kind of thoughts, and just an overall general thought over it, and we'll discuss it later on with Wedge and CVM as well. And since our last cast, and it would have even happened before we recorded this week anyway, they announced that birth, or the modern <laughs> banned and restricted announcement, birthing pods on banned. No, uh, birthing pods still banned, but Splinter Twin and Summer Bloom are now banned, and that was... Way out of left field, and we all got it wrong, uh, except for Richard. I guess you still got it right, right? Uh, Wizards <laughs> got it wrong. Why did they ban Twin? <laughs> uh, so Tomer just joined us. What is up, Tomer? Hey, guys. How's it going? It's going well. Thanks for joining us. Okay, uh, so just to start things off, so how did you... Richard and Jake, this is more directed to you. What did you think of Oath of the Gatewatch and the limited environment when you guys went to the pre-release. We'll start you off, Richard. Uh, it was awesome. Uh, I crushed on Friday. I 4-0'd FNM in the middle of the modern banding announcement, and then midnight pre-release, I opened a ton of aggressive Eldrazi, and I built a pretty sweet Eldrazi aggro deck, and I went 3-0 for that, and then I opened a bunch of junk. Uh, but uh, the, the new colorless mana was actually pretty cool, and... It was pretty powerful on the Eldrazi card, so it was one of the most entertaining pre-releases I've been to since everything was so kind of new and shiny with the new colorless stuff. Yeah, so Jake, moving on to you. So I actually did two-headed giant pre-release. I didn't I didn't do a singleton, but I did do a two-headed giant with my friend, and my pool was absolutely awful. So our our pool was awful. We opened like one good card, which was Nissa, and a bunch of unplayable rares. We opened some lands that you would never want in limited, or you wouldn't want very much. We had like a 
a Seagate wreckage and a Prairie Stream, which, like, sure, they help a little bit with colorless and mana fixing, respectively, but our pool is awful, and we still managed to pull out a 3-1. And it was really sad, because we went 3-0, and then we were in our last match, and we lost the last one, hoping we would 4-0, and I, I came out of it really hoping I had lost the first one, so I wouldn't have been, you know, expecting to 4-0 the entire time with the awful cards. But, uh, I was, I was a little bit weirded out by Surge. They say they designed the set with Two-Headed Giant in mind, and Surge is just too overpowered in Two-Headed Giant. It like is it, so it, overpowered in single-player. <laughs> well, some of them are really good still in single-player. Like, uh, Jwarile Avenger is, is pretty good. It's not too hard to Surge. It's not god-awful whenever you're paying the full amount. But in Two-Headed Giant, it's just dumb. Like, there was never a point when either me or my teammate wanted to Surge and were able to. So you basically always get the cost reduction. And especially with like a rare like Clash of the Titans, where you can just target one head for one target and the other head on the opposing team for the other target, it's, it's kind of dumb how powerful it is. Overall, I liked it more than Battle for Zendikar, and I think it'll improve the block, but I, I didn't really get the full two-headed giant uh, experience coming across. It just felt like a normal set to me. Yeah, like the Surge mechanic was totally broken in my opinion. Like you go two drop, three drop into two drop surge card. Like there's uh, the three two menace goblin or the deal four damage to a creature and the game's pretty much over. Uh, so surge just seemed insanely broken. It was so easy to trigger if you played a low curve deck. And some of the cards are just really under costed if you get to surge them. So do you are either of you a fan of the two headed giant uh, format, like, the premier pre-release uh, format going forward? I didn't get to play Two-Headed Giant because I wanted to play at midnight. <laughs> so I'll leave that one to Jake. In general, I greatly prefer playing online for basically everything, uh, just because it's so much more convenient. But Two-Headed Giant is fun enough for me that it will drag me out of my house. So I, I expect to go to Two-Headed Giant pre-release and probably not normal one for every set going forward. So it's a success for me. Awesome. So, moving on. So, Tomer, did you go to the pre-release? I did not, unfortunately. I will be going to the release events, though. Okay. So, overall, uh, the general vibe is that you, you feel, like Jake and Richard, you feel Oath of the Gate watches a, a fairly successful limited format, and you feel that they it will mesh well with BFZ, is what I'm getting. I thought it was pretty fun. Uh, I had one of those awkward moments where I had, like, an ally encampment or something, and it, it had the old generic mana symbol on it, and I got confused, even though I knew exactly what all these cards do, and I was just like, this is weird. Uh, but outside of that, everything seemed to play very well, but it's just that weird mixing of old BFZ cards with the old template with the new Oath cards. Still weird. Uh, I, I, I don't envy new players starting out uh, at that pre-release, but... As an experienced person, it, it was actually very fun, and the new colorless adds a lot of interesting twists because it's kind of a six-mana, uh, six-color, uh, even though it's colorless uh, in limited. Awesome. So just going through some of the questions here, uh, a lot of people <laughs> picking up some awesome cards during their pre-release. Uh, I did not go to the pre-release, and as I mentioned in the chat, uh, I open very subpar cards every time I go to a pre-release. It's like a running joke for, like, years now. Uh, but glad to see everyone was opening up really sweet stuff. Uh, just a comment here. Uh, Fall of the Titans wrecked us in our two-headed giants. Our opponent <laughs> our opponent paid seven and hit myself and my teammate, each doing a total of 14. We died. 
so that was uh, Zen Puzzles. <laughs> Interesting. Um, just to answer a couple of quick questions, um, we're doing our best to answer them in the chat. Um, did I miss any, Seth, or did you pull any out? Uh, no, I've mostly been just answering them in the chat as we go along. Uh, so there's, so far, let's see, um, what do you guys think about Red, White, Burn in Modern? What are some good sideboard cards for the Mirror or against Tron? Any thoughts on Red, White, Burn Mirrors in Modern, anyone? Yeah, I agree. I mean, you said, like, uh, you know, Molten Rain, or what? what's that one? Uh, yeah, I said Molten, yeah, Molten Rain. Rain. Yeah, uh, Molten Rain. Dragon's Claw, Core Firewalker, those are the ones that popped up uh, first in my mind. Lightning Helix? Uh, I mean, I, I would assume that's already a main deck, no? I don't know. That's the two mana, three damage, but in a burn mirror, that should be pretty good, right? Yeah. Uh, some financial questions. Um, trying to pull some out here. Sorry, everyone, just trying to keep up. Uh, here's a um, question from Greeno here. Tomer's the guy who did the puzzle, right, Tomer? Yeah, I love that, Tomer. More, please. What happened yes. to the puzzle, Tomer? Yeah, where are those? Had ideas and then they kind of wandered off. But I did salvage. Um, I had an Innistrad puzzle back when they did the flashback draft, and it was a little bit too obvious to answer of it. So I made it a little bit more confusing, and it should be ready to go maybe next week. Sweet, <laughs> uh, yeah. Michael. Oh yeah, go ahead. Uh, I'd say probably like once a month. That's my goal is to have one one riddle per month. Awesome. So puzzles are making a return once a month. Good job, Tomer. Please tell me this Innistrad puzzle has runic repetition in it or something equally disturbing. It has Hell Vault, and people who were following the lore might be happy. Ooh, I like this puzzle already. Yeah. Except Dahlia's going to die. All right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, She'll be, she'll be on the battlefield, yeah. <laughs> All right, Chaz, financial question for you from System, with a number six in it. Um, uh, Expedition Ancient Tomb was opened at pre-release. Do you hold it, or do you sell it? Ooh. Um, I would probably sell it. Yeah, I I probably would too. Although they definitely started out like the pricing on the expeditions much more conservatively than the BFC ones. I think people realized and the vendors realized uh, that they're much more common than we thought at first. Yeah. So so they don't you don't have that big inflated price as much as you did with some of the BFC versions. So I don't think it's as imperative that you sell it, but still, I mean, they're going to be opening this set for the next few months. Uh, I would probably go ahead and sell it too. Yeah, and I mean, this has kind of been something we wanted to reiterate. Um, they're just not overall as good as the BFZ expeditions, so really not everyone's rushing out to grab all the new Oath of the Gatewatch uh, expeditions. I mean, sans a couple of them. Uh, <laughs> when, we, when Oath of the Gatewatch and Eye of Ugin was revealed as an expedition, uh, no, this was before Eye of Ugin exploded, so that would have been a terrible one, but uh, apparently that one's good now, so other than, like, a few of them, <laughs> like, Wasteland and such, I, I don't I don't see them really uh, being too lucrative. So I, I'd probably sell it if you weren't, especially if you weren't going to use it. Ancient Doom would be a much sweeter one if it wasn't for the From the Vault printing. Uh, yeah. I think that that, like, takes away... So now there's three different foil versions of Ancient Doom, 
And while the Expedition is a sweet one, it's not, like, way sweeter than the From the Vault one. And the original Tempest is probably the most uh, pimp of them all, the original foil, so... Yeah. Yeah, I just don't see anyone rushing out to grab, uh, like, a lot of these Expeditions, so... Uh, yeah, I would, I would ship them. Um... Just another quick one. Why do people suddenly think Scapeshift is a playable deck and the namesake card can go for 50 USD from Nick Brock Kaiser? Well, I mean, Scapeshift, I think, gets better with the twin banning, which we haven't talked about yet, but we will. I promise. I definitely want to talk about the bannings. But um, I think that that improves the deck to some extent. So, But it was spiking before that. So, And it's an older, like, low-supply rare, so that is probably the biggest reason for the price spike, is there just aren't that many scape shifts out there. It hasn't showed up in a Modern Masters or a Supplemental, so there's just not that many copies to go around, and it is a fairly powerful deck. Even in its bad times, it's at least, like, a Tier 2 deck, even uh, when it's not performing well, and it has been a Tier 1 deck at various times, so I don't think it's really that surprising that uh, scape shift is spiking. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to agree. I mean, no reprint uh, is obviously a big one. It hasn't had a reprint in a very long time. It's from Morning Tide, which is, like, forever ago. And and a lot of the cards from Twin, not all of them, but a good amount of them, kind of port over to Scape Shift, so you can still play your Snapcasters, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So it's kind of like, you know, the second stop for all these Twin players that still want to play that four-mana, like, got you card. I mean, it's not nearly as... Uh, you know, as strong as Twin could been, could be, or was, but it's still a blue deck in Modern. It's basically one of the few remaining blue decks in Modern. So it's just a lot of it has to do with again that Scape Shift has just not seen a reprint in a very long time, and the format's basically up in the air now that it, Twin is gone. Uh, but we will go into that further. So just to hold off on the comments, uh, we're, we're just going to continue on real quick. So to just close the book on Oath of the Gatewatch, Tomer, uh, you bring an, kind of an EDH outlook on this set. Uh, how do you rate this set? Because uh, we had you on, uh, we had your thoughts on BFC. So what do you think about Oath of the Gatewatch? And uh, there was a really interesting EDH change recently. Uh, so why don't you enlighten us about that too? Well, overall, I'd say Oath of the Gatewatch brings a lot to very specific archetypes. I would say the biggest winners would be probably the Allies deck, because this is the first time ever we have a five-color ally, um, ally general with General Tazri. Um, we also have a lot of new um, support for the Super Friends archetypes. I think the new Chandra is amazing, and we have a tutor for specifically for archetypes uh, for Planeswalkers and I also think Oath of Gideon is a snap include. Um, and I also think just getting the new basic land waste is going to be really helpful for the colorist, colorless decks that never had basic lands before. So if you get hit by a path to exile or something like that, now you have something to search up. And uh, you don't have to be blown up so badly from cards like Ruination and stuff like that. So I think that's overall a pretty big impact to the format. So uh, if I could butt in, I don't I don't know nearly as much about EDH and Commander as uh, Tomer does, but uh, there were three main changes by the Rules Committee. I know you alluded to one of them when you were asking the question, and I'm really excited about all of them. So number one, Prophet of Crufix is banned. So I don't think that was a ridiculously 
overpowered card, but I don't think people liked playing against it very much, and I think it was fine that it got the boot. Enough people were talking about it and asking for it that it was probably a sign it was time for it to go. So, number one, I'm in favor of that banning. Number two, they changed the mulligan rule to be consistent with the rest of Magic. You still get one free mull to seven in multiplayer matches, so more than two players, but after that, you scry to six, and then you get a, you get a scry one. If you mull to six or below, you get to scry one at the beginning, which I think is good. I like being consistent. And the third which I'm the most excited about, is you're now allowed to generate mana outside your commander's color identity if you somehow get a source that can do it, such as a rock that says add mana of any color, like a, a dark steel relic or a gilded lotus, or if you steal someone's basic lands, such as with a Sin Triplets deck, which I showed off in the first commander clash. So yeah. that deck is going to get a lot better. I still have that built. It's one of my favorites. So I'm really excited about all those changes from the rules committee. I know we give them a lot of crap from time to time, but uh, I think all of these are a step in the right direction. Yeah, I agree with Jake on all of that. I think just streamlining the rules to make it easier to understand and get into Commander is good. So getting root, uh, rid of the rule for the colorless uh, rule is a good idea. I never had any love for Prophet of Crufix, and I have a lot of reasons why I don't like the card as much as other people do. And I'm not, I don't think it's breaking the format or anything, but I'm, I'm pretty happy seeing it gone. So I think all these changes were, were quite good and stepped in the right direction. All right, just getting through some of these questions. Um, okay, so, yeah, I, I think... I mean, I'm not an EDH aficionado. I, I don't really follow it as much as you, Tom, or even you, Jake, or anyone. Uh, but I felt that the ban was probably justified. I've heard from many people that have played, uh, that it was a very powerful card. And so with the new rules change, what inherently gets better in EDH? Basically, anytime that you need mana outside your commander's color identity, it gets better. So specifically, a general like Send Triplets lets you play cards from your opponent's hand, including basic lands. So before, if I play your forest or your mountain from your hand, I can't later on, a, on another turn cast your red or green spells, even though Send Triplets says I can cast spells from your hand, and I've stolen the basic lands necessary to do so. Now, if I've stolen a mountain or forest or a red-green dual land, I can tap it for that red or green color mana and then cast that spell. Additionally, uh, a very popular, maybe not very popular, but more popular than you would think, given how weird it is, Praetor's Grasp, which is a one black-black sorcery, search target opponent's library for a card and exile it, and then until the end of the game, for as long as it remains exiled, you may cast it. But it doesn't have the all-too-important, you may spend any the mana you have as mana of any color to cast it. So it still has to be, generally, if you're going against a non-black deck, you have to go get a colorless card or a land. Now, if you are able to generate mana outside your color identity, say you have a Gilded Lotus, you can go steal a blue card from a blue deck and cast it later with that Gilded Lotus. So Praetor's Grasp gets a lot better, Centroblitz gets a lot better. Um, basically cards like that, where you, you need off-color mana for something that's not in your deck, because you're not allowed to put cards into your deck that need off-colored mana. But Jake, what do these changes do to Scrambleverse? What do these changes do to Scrambleverse? Uh, they don't affect it very highly. <laughs> Still makes people angry. <laughs> Unchanged. Okay, yep. So Still just kind of uh, answering questions here. Um, Michael Papa. 
hopefully I'm not butchering that. I'm going to be butchering this even on the one-year anniversary, so I don't think anyone's uh, going to be surprised. But he answered, he asked this question a few times, just wanted to get to it. Um, would investing into infect burn and boggles be a good call in this new modern, uh, considering how cheap they are versus other decks? Uh... Possibly. I think Burn... I played Burn on Budget Magic this week, and I hate <laughs> Burn. Um, but it is really powerful, and I think that it is fairly well-positioned. So I think that's a good one. Uh, Bogles or Boggles, however you say that correctly, I don't like that deck either, and I, I really don't know where that fits in the metagame. I I kind of wonder about the matchup with Eldrazi decks that are playing All is Dust, because that's... Uh, when an Eldrazi deck can play All is Dust for, like, four mana on turn four or something, that's a pretty good trump card because it gets around Hexproof and gets rid of all the enchantments. So that, pretty, that card itself pretty much wrecks Bogles. And what was the third one? Um, Infect. Oh, Infect. Infect is, yeah. Infect is probably going to be one of the big decks at the Pro Tour uh, in two weeks, I would assume. I think Infect is going to be really good. So I expect to see a lot of burn in Infect versus Tron. I think that... Uh, is the new format moving forward, unfortunately. Does Infect beat Affinity? It does, right? It's much faster, right? Well, Infinity has a lot of crappy flying chump blockers, though, which I think could help with uh, in the matchup, but I'm really not sure who wins, uh, who has a better win percentage. Interesting. It's basically a coin flip. I mean, I mean, really. Uh, they're both... I mean... Infect would probably have the edge, but I mean, Affinity. If Affinity is able to really like regurgitate its its hand like in the first turn or two and like really get going, then it's pretty hard for them to keep up, even with Infect damage. Yeah, because uh, there's just not enough time. The format's going to be Affinity versus Tron. Uh, if that's the case, like Jun is a terrible deck, uh, but. If Infect is in there, then Jun suddenly looks good again, and then you have the Rock Paper Scissors going again. So that that's pretty interesting. If Infect can somehow sneak back in there, then that opens the game up for Jund as well. Yeah, to add on to what Seth said, I mean, all three of those, I mean, just for how cheap they are, I mean, Burn and Infect, obviously, uh, I would favor more than Boggles, just because they're, they just have a better place in the metagame right now. Um, but yeah, they're much cheaper, and they probably won't be cheap for that much longer, uh, just uh, with the modern season coming up and with all these uh, price increases and just the, the modern seasonal uh, tax, uh, it, they just won't be cheap forever. And, and if, you're, if you want to play those decks in, in the new uh, Twinless world, I mean, I would say go for it if that's really where you want to be. Um, so just to answer that question, yes. I, I think it's a good place to invest uh, if you're going to be playing Modern. Um, someone's asked a few times about 8-Rack in Modern, another deck we played on Budget Magic a while ago and where it fits uh, moving forward. And I think that a lot of that will come down to if you're playing a version with Ensnaring Bridge. I think that to be effective against things like Infact and so on, um, really going to need Ensnaring Bridge builds. So I think the budget build is maybe in a worse place because it, mm -hmm. uh, it can struggle with some of those decks like Infact... Um, but I think if you're playing in Snaring Bridge, you're probably fine going forward. I don't think it's going to be Tier 1 or anything, but I think it's still playable if you're playing in Snaring Bridge. Yeah, I agree. And, and yeah, all those are pretty good uh, investments. And, and like I said, I mean, it's 
they got what they really wanted, and this will kind of segue into the twin being banned and, and Summer Blue being banned. So want to hear your thoughts on this, Tomer and Jake, as well as we go along. Um, so twin and Summer Bloom were banned, and uh, so nothing was unbanned. And I, I'm, I think a lot of people, a majority of us players, kind of knew something in the Bloom Titan list was going to get the axe. What came out of left field was Splinter Twin, and I have to say I was honestly surprised about Splinter Twin. I didn't think they would ban it. Um, do I think it was a good ban? Probably. I think it opens up the, the format a little bit. Maybe, you know, on the surface, uh, it seems more destructive than good. But I think it... I think under the underlying issue was it was kind of uh, a degenerate thing in the format that they just kind of let you know, happen for a while. So I just kind of want your thoughts because, I mean, I, I was really on the fence about Splinter Twin. I didn't think they'd ban it, but, you know, and I kind of thought Splinter Twin was a necessary evil, uh, but uh, it got banned. So what do you think, Richard? Uh, so I don't like the bannings, but I'll, I'll tell you, so I was in the middle of a modern FNM when this was announced. So we were like in, so during round one, there were rumors of a moto leak Right, so where they leaked it on Moto, and people kind of knew Splinter Twin and uh, Bloom were going, but during round two, that's when uh, Wizards actually pushed out the announcement early. Uh, there was a loud cheer when the announcement was made, and I'm not sure if that was for Twin or for Bloom. But speaking to all the players throughout the rounds, uh, the rest of the night, most people had the same reaction as me, which was like, "What the hell? Like, why was Twin banned? It didn't need to be banned." But it's probably good for the format. Like, that's kind of the gist of the feelings. And I, I think that's pretty true. Like, we can see how it's oppressive, but at the same time, everyone knows how to work around it and, and get around it and things like that. So it's not that bad. Uh, but where I think it falls short is I, I don't know that Banning Twin opens up the field to new archetypes. Like, I think it's just going to reconfigure some of the existing decks. Uh, so I really would have liked to see an unbanned to kind of bring forth new archetypes and, you know, new combinations of colors. So that's where I fall on that. And given what I heard at FNM, that was kind of most of the the spiky side of uh, modern magic fell on that as well. Seth, uh, you wrote an article about this, actually. So why don't, you, uh, why don't you enlighten us about what you said in that article? It got a lot of... Uh, uh, <laughs> dissenting uh, arguments uh, that ensued after that? Well, I mean, my article wasn't really about my feelings on Twin being banned. Obviously, a Summer Bloom being van banned was predictable, and I think most people agree that was fine. But it was about how Wizards, in my opinion, feels like why they felt it necessary to ban Tron, and, or to ban Tron, to ban Twin. Uh, and basically what it comes down to is... Uh, Wizards wanted to get rid of the Pro Tour uh, for Modern, and the community had this big uproar, made them keep the Modern Pro Tour. So as a result, Wizards had to figure out a way to keep the Modern Pro Tour interesting. And the thing is, on its face, Modern Pro Tours don't make as much money for Wizards as standard Pro Tours, because the, someone pointed out in the comments, and I didn't realize this, but... Pro Tour actually stands for Promotional Tour, and it's an advertising event designed to sell the newest Magic set. And Modern Pro Tours don't do a very good job of that because not many new cards are in Modern. 
So Wizards doesn't want to have a modern Pro Tour because they don't make as much money from it, and it's not as good promotion for their new set. So to kind of do what they can to make the best of this bad situation, they have to make sure that this modern Pro Tour is an intriguing event and it's entertaining. So they have to ban something like Splinter Twin or ban something like Birthing Pod, and it's obviously working because tons of people read that article. There were tons of comments and conversations about this banning. So it has captured the community's imagination, and it's going to make a ton of people watch the Pro Tour because everyone wants to know what Modern looks like without Splinter Twin. So it is achieving Wizards' goals, but we kind of back them into the corner by making them keep the Modern Pro Tour on the schedule. So now they don't have any choice but to make sure the format's fresh and new and exciting. Tomer. Uh, I don't actually play Modern, but... <laughs> Of all the decks that I was interested in playing, Splinter Twin was the top. I just want to play. What do you know? <laughs> I just want to play Broken Cards and Snapcaster Mage and stuff like that. And now that that's taken away, uh, probably not that much for me, uh, incentive-wise, to go into so, so to our listeners, Tomer is the proverbial "I just got four Splinter Twin in the mail when they banned the card" uh, person <laughs> on the cast. <laughs> go, Jake. Jake, do you have any input? So, as someone who does not play Modern, but does enjoy watching Modern, I'm in favor of it. Um, And that's only because I I enjoy watching the format, and it does get old watching the same matches over and over again. So if this opens up new decks, or if it makes my favorite deck, which is Tron, get better, and I get to watch more of that, then that's great. As someone who's just a player, and who might one day want to get invested in Modern, it definitely... Shakes my confidence a lot. Uh, people will comment, oh, well, Splinter Twin just got reprinted in Modern Masters 2, and now it's getting banned. Well, one, you kind of need to expect that because they can't just not print Splinter Twin because then they'll say, oh, guess what? Everybody's going to get banned soon and kind of be letting the cat out of the bag. So they're going to have to print things and then later ban them, or reprint things, rather, and then later ban them. And then second, it, it shakes your confidence into buying into a deck. If the best deck is going to get banned every year, then guess what? You can't buy, build the best deck. And if you can't build the best deck, why play it all? So it makes me not want to play Modern ever, because it makes me afraid of you know investing into a deck only to have it get banned. But I'm excited to see what shakes out of the Pro Tour, and I think it's definitely going to be more interesting. And as Seth said, it's going to draw a lot more viewers than it would if it did not get banned. So I, I think it was good overall. I, I mean, I just I didn't want to see Twin go only because I think it was the like I think it was like like I said before it was a necessary evil in the format and kind of kept a lot of crazier stuff in check. So I don't really know what we're gonna see at the Pro Tour because uh, while everyone is saying like uh, Red Green Tron and Infect and Affinity and all these all these decks are a surefire like shoe in to be the next meta. I mean, none of those decks really can do anything about like ad nauseum and and all these crazy combo decks that just like don't really care about what the other deck is doing and they don't really have an interaction with that other than you know play a couple like big cards like on turn four and by that time they're like dead. Splinter Twin was kind of like that mediator like in between deck that's like all right I need to. Like, this deck needs to exist to stop those decks, but then, like, these decks have to evolve and, and beat that deck. So I think there was, like, a kind of weird but harmonious thing going on in the format. 
Um, for once, I disagree with you, Seth, uh, on your article, actually. And I think I think where I have an issue is, is like the, the Wizards' goal to make money. I don't think that's the bottom line as to why they ban Twin. Now, I asked a lot of people, do they ban Twin and Summer Bloom if there was not a pro tour or promotional tour coming up? I don't think they did that. I don't think they would have done that. Um, and at the same time, I do think Modern kind of is just as, or or maybe it isn't now, but it could be um, as, like, it could bring in a, as much money, if not more, than Standard, because it's their new Eternal format. It's not like Legacy, where they're kind of pigeon-held by the reserved list and just all these old, powerful cards that they, you know, in a real sense, can never reprint, whether it be on the reserved list or it's just too powerful just to reprint anywhere. Um you know, that would make the the format more accessible. Um, I, I think what they're leaving on the table is how they're, in, like, how they're integrating, like, these Modern Masters formats into, or the, the sets, rather, into their cycles and getting more people into the format. It's, it's kind of like a fine line they need to walk because they don't want to push out too many reprints and, and acknowledge the secondary market, and at the same time, they want to make, modern a really successful format that brings in a lot of people so I don't think the bottom line of banning a, a, a like a major deck and and a, a deck that many people enjoyed playing or you know is invested in uh, I don't think making money is their bottom line but uh, I do think they want to kind of control modern a little bit more and have more of a uh, direction of that format that they never really had with legacy um, so that that's my kind of thought I, I don't I don't really think like you can make the crux of the argument. Uh, they wanted to ban Twin just you know because the the, the company wants to make money. I think a lot. Of, I think they really do care about where the format's going, and sometimes they need to inject a steroid into a non-rotating format rather than just let things play out. But I I think the thing that we need to remember is with any corporation, their bottom line is always to make money. So whether or not uh, you want to want to buy the argument that the twin banning is related to that, my my counter argument would be that when it comes right down to it, below everything else, the goal of Wizards and Hasbro is to make money. So somehow the banning yeah, yeah I agree with that to that goal because that's what companies do. Well, obviously they're a company and their bottom line is making money, but I mean they want to make the modern format marketable, so. But they wanted to get rid of it a year ago. Like that was their goal was to get rid of it. I, I think I think that had to really do with that not a lot of people are even really able to play the format. And I think uh, maybe that they're going to I mean this is just my inclination that they they're trying to hold off until there's enough cards and supply out there that people can, you know, ro- like more easily get into the format. It'll, it'll and, never and happen, more easily. Right? We're at the point where a new rogue deck pops up, Eldrazi Ramp, right? And overnight, that deck becomes a $500 deck or whatever, right? Like, we're, we're at the point in the game where, like, no matter what, <clears throat> you know, random budget deck shows up, as long as it's competitive, it will spike in price. Like, the, the modern pool is too large. Like, it has to be some weird deck that's built of only standard cards, right? Because <laughs> otherwise, you're going to use some old cards from you know, some old set, and Wizards will need, a, you know, at least a year or two of lead time to reprint it. So you always get these weird spikes in Modern, and I don't see how that's getting solved, right? Like, you're, you're keeping 
Tarmogoyf down, but you know what happened to Aljazi Temple? What happened to you know even the new Ulamog? Things like that. Like they just keep coming up and up, and like that's that's kind of a losing proposition to keep those prices down. So that's why I think you know making modern and accessible format is not realistic. Like it's one of those things that oh you've played Magic for a long time, you're invested, you're willing to put down a thousand bucks to buy a deck. Welcome to modern. Right, it's kind of like it's it's becoming what legacy and vintage are, right? Like these enfranchised players who love the game so much, they're willing to fork over the cash. Like I can't see it being, oh, modern's my first format. Let me, you know, get a hundred dollar deck and be competitive. Like it's it's simply not going in that direction. Well, I, I think it's not going in. Uh, go ahead, Jake. Go ahead. I was just gonna say that yeah, that makes perfect sense just from like a basic math standpoint. So if you have people who want to play modern competitively, so I'm gonna I'm gonna specify competitively. Let's say that. It's a huge field, and there's 20 decks, and the, the first be best deck is not ridiculously better than the 20th best. You're still going to have X number of players in the format spread out among those 20 decks, and unless the cards in those decks are reprinted like a lot, a lot, a lot, like you said, the prices are going to rise accordingly. And if you change which 20 decks those are, it's not going to change. The prices are just going to move somewhere else. The only thing you can do is make people hate modern, so people leave the format, so you don't have as much demand, or make modern masters more than bi-yearly or larger print runs or cheaper or something in order to increase supply. And they haven't really been that aggressive with increasing supply, so it's probably going to stay the same way it's been. Yeah, the way modern masters is being done right now is a failing proposition. It just is. Like, that's just the long and short of it. You can't, you can't promote a format, and maybe this is, like, where... The, the viewpoint is skewed a little bit. Like, yes, they want to make money, but I think they're leaving a lot of money on the table with this format. I mean, how do you get players to play a very now expensive format? Uh, you know, it, it is very... It, it is um, drawing a lot of people to the viewership. It, it is a very interesting format, and a lot of people, I think, do want to play, but the way that they're going about making it more accessible is just uh, not... It's it's just not the way to go about things. It's it's very ineffective in like what they're doing right now. Uh, you can't have a you can't have a set that's going to offer more cards to the masses and then slap on. It's made for limited purposes and then additionally it's a limited print run. That's just like that just spells disaster for me. And you know should they reprint like like chronicles like style and just like go, like, reprint, like, everything into the ground? No, but I think they should at least, you know, push the envelope a little bit more to uh, to get those reprints or, you know, reprint cards here and there. And, and like we said last week, Seth, like, when, when we went on that whole rant, use the supplemental product that you're already using and just make it more effective. I mean, this isn't 19... Like, this isn't, like, 1997, 1995 this anymore. Like, Chronicles' is, like style is not going to kill the game. Like, like you said, I think you, you had a really good point, Jake. Uh, if, if you have a format that's really lucrative and there's 20 good decks and not one of them is any really leagues better than the other and suddenly everyone wants to play those that set... I mean, there's, there better be a lot of cards out there to satisfy a lot of the demand. Is there always going to be a, a total number of cards out there that's going to satisfy that demand? No. Is Modern always going to cost some amount of money? Yes. But I think it's just getting a little out of control because they want to put a shot these reprints and then you get not that many from a limited print run and then you have cards suddenly that were reprinted not 
you know, not that long ago, uh, already spiking back to pre, you know, their pre uh, spiked, or yeah, their pre spiked uh, prices and beyond that, like Ivugan and stuff like that. The, the thing is, though, and I hate to come back to this all the time, but Wizards wants some of these cards to be expensive. They don't want people angry there's, that because they're so expensive, but from their perspective, they could reprint everything in Modern in an unlimited print set, make the format super cheap, but and that would profit them because they would sell a ton of boosters of that set. But what they can do with all these expensive cards is put one or two in a standard legal set, like Thoughtseize, or a supplemental product like Commander, and sell tons of product from tons of different sets over the course of the next five or ten years. So why would they just shoot their wad and waste all of these reprint, like all their reprint equity and print these cards into the ground when this can keep them making money for five or ten years because these cards are expensive? Like from their yeah. perspective, it just, yes, from the player's perspective, I get it, and that would be awesome. But from Wizards' perspective, I don't think that's the most financially viable option to take, which is why they don't do it. Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, there's there's definitely, I don't know if, you know, you can one-for-one one say, you know, banning something is, and the bottom line is to make money. Like, obviously, there's always a bottom line to making money. But I think that they're what what they have in place now is just a little bit of you know just a little bit ineffective. Like you said, Seth, I, they do benefit from having cards that are high, like uh, that that cost a you know X amount, and then they can reprint those cards and sell sets for like a million years from now, like for for all time. But at the same time, I don't I don't I just don't think that's effective when your player base is continuing to grow. And you can sell like a modern masters like no problem if you just increase the the print run and 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 have not reprint everything but have just smarter stuff. I mean like you were missing like Inquisition, uh, you were missing ancient. Like how do you miss ancient stirrings even at common? Like how do you like you just need to be smarter about this? I mean what are you gonna what are you holding on to as a reprint equity like a five dollar ancient stirrings they didn't even reprint it in the second coming of uh, Battle for Zendikar so what are they waiting for and and the other thing is they don't want to have a modern masters one situation where they're making a ton of money for all the local game stores and all the big vendors where they sell it for a cheaper price and the EV is so high that the vendors can sell the packs for double MSRP because then Wizards doesn't get that money. Like, that's why we saw the price increase in packs for the most recent Modern Masters, and that's why we saw the EV drop to close to breaking even instead of being positive because Wizards doesn't want to be just shifting all that money to the local gaming stores and to the vendors. They want that money to be going into their pockets. Yep. Time's flying fast. Oh, my goodness. Uh, we're going to start getting our guests on here real soon. Um, so just to go back through some of the comments, sorry to take a break from that. Um, Ultra Cloud Spawn, he asked, uh, the, the, they asked this question a couple times, just want to get to it. Speaking of reprinting, what do you guys think of Shadows over Innistrad? Do you think we will see the return of flip cards? A new Delver, J JK, but not really. <laughs> um... Maybe. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if we see flip cards. Didn't they kind of, like, abolish that? But, I mean, maybe they bring it back just because it's cool. I thought they said that they figured out some process for printing flip cards better at some point, which kind of hinted that we're going to see more flip cards at some point. 
I think they have to do a flip card or something very, very similar to it because they have stated so, so, so many times in so many different venues that they messed up not making a legendary werewolf. But and the werewolves are it. all gone. They're a wolfier or whatever. They're gonna, they're gonna figure out a way to do it. That's my like 95% prediction because I, with the amount of people already complaining about it, there's no way they're gonna go back to Innistrad. Maybe not the first set, but at least by the end of the block, by the end of the second set, they absolutely have to fill that hole because there are so many people who want it for EDH and will not be quiet about it that they have to they have to do it. They'll well, find a werewolf. If there's no other werewolves on the plane, they'll bring one in from another plane. <laughs> it's going to happen. But you could do that without a flip card, right? Fly in a... Uh, well, it's got to transform and interact with all your flip cards. It doesn't have to be exactly a flip card, but I would be surprised if it was different and wildly different. I, I would expect it to be very similar and use something like a transform mechanic where it starts out as one thing, a human, and then it becomes a werewolf. If it's just a legendary werewolf, there's always a werewolf, that's that's kind of failing, I think. What, what if it's just a level-up mechanic? You pay one and it becomes a werewolf. <laughs> I would be okay with that, but I, I think a lot of people wouldn't <laughs> no, be. I, I, it needs to be a flip. It has to be a flip, I think. Otherwise, you'd have, like, Huntmaster and things like that, right? Like, that, that's such a better werewolf. <laughs> you need to have, like, the king werewolf. Yeah, so uh, synergy. I also think they will be bringing back the flip mechanic. I remember Mark Rosewater said a, a bunch of times how well received the flip mechanic was, and I did hear somewhere that like they fixed whatever printing issues they had with it. So I, I hate I hate playing with flip cards so much. It's like are my sleeves transparent? I don't know. <laughs> I I will say though, as far as reprints, I would not be expecting Liliana the Veil. Would not be expecting Snapcaster or. Uh, Delver of Secrets, mm. like the big cards from the set, like the odds of them being reprinted are pretty slim. Like that just uh, recent history of return sets shows that we'll probably get a couple like mid-low level Felidaire Sovereign type reprints, but we're not going to get those huge modern playables most likely. Nope. If Battle for Zendikar is any indication of how they do reprints, I am very skeptical of those <laughs> Remember you wrote that article, Seth, about uh, one of the things that players expect when you return to a plane is the power level, and that's where they, they botched it with uh, Battle for Zendikar. Do you think, we, we might not get Snapcaster or Liliana, but Innistrad was a pretty overpowered set. Do you think we're getting an overpowered set for Shadows? I think it'll be strong. I think I, it'll be strong. I, I mean, Emrakul is going to be there, right? That's my prediction. I still think that's the shadow. The shadow. And I realized, I didn't realize this until recently, but Shadows over Innistrad was actually supposed to be the third set of Battle for Zendikar block. And like halfway through designing the set, they switched to the two block cadence. And Mark Rosewater confirmed that it was supposed to be, the first set was supposed to be the Ulamog set, second set was going to be the Kozilek set, and then the third set was the Emrakul set. So that also points towards possibly Emrakul in Shadows. Not to mention the flavor text on the card. It, uh, when Ugin is speaking to Jace, he says, don't forget there were three. He didn't say, don't forget also Kozilek coming along in the second block. He said, don't forget all three of them. So as much as I don't really want Emrakul to wreck Innistrad, because I like Innistrad the way it is, I wouldn't be surprised to see some sort of influence there. Eldrazi Planeswalker Emrakul. Oh, That my would God. be crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Instant casual buy everywhere. Yeah, I do think Richard that the the set or the block rather is going to be overall strong. You know, harking back to the the first round. But I mean, to get all those one for one reprints, I just don't see is uh, I don't 
I wouldn't be expecting that. Just for everyone that's listening and anyone out there that is expecting that in the shadows of Innistrad, over Innistrad, rather. Um, yeah, I just and and they don't really ever do like reprints of Planeswalkers anymore. Uh, they they always kind of introduce these Planeswalkers as like new iterations of these Planeswalkers. So I wouldn't expect Liliana either. Do do we have Wedge with us? I think we do. Wedge, Wedge what's up? Oh hey. Hey. hey! So everyone, welcome. Wedge is joining us. Welcome to the cast. Welcome to the crew. How's it going, Wedge? Uh, it's going well. The fact that I've been able to figure out Google Hangouts is totally the most uh, important thing that's happened today. <laughs> <laughs> it's the highlight of your day. You're able to talk in the Google Hangouts. It's a difficult <laughs> process, man. How's it going? Happy one year. That's awesome. Thank yes. you so much, and uh, and a happy, you know, uh, you hit a milestone today too. You must be very happy. So why don't you? Uh, tell us what, what happened today for you and, and for our listeners. Uh, I mean, Over the Moon doesn't even begin to explain it. Uh, the Mana Sources Patreon hit our main milestone goal of $3,500 a month, which is pretty crazy. It basically means that we can keep making videos at the ridiculously unhealthy pace that we make them. <laughs> Congratulations. Oh, that's Congrats. Awesome. Congrats, Wedge. That's awesome. Maybe not so much for your health, though. You know, no, you're not going to down. I mean, come on. <laughs> It's YouTube. We're all dead in a decade anyway. It's fine. Yeah. Um, and and uh, just to announce here, I am now an official patron of your YouTube channel. Well done, Wedge. Oh, my God. Uh, if I, I can hug you, uh, smell you a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Is that too I, Congrats. And, and I definitely want to be a part of it. As one content creator to another, I, I just I know how these things go. And um, everyone out there, Wedge is a paramount uh, person in the community and may, has been making very good uh, uh, videos and, and has really grown that YouTube channel. Well done, Wedge. Really, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Oh, yeah. So for everyone out there, Chaz is now a full uh, supporter and patron of uh, the the Mana Source YouTube channel, and I'm happy to do it. Dude, you're too kind, man. Everyone's too kind. This community's great. Let's all just one giant hug. Yeah. Do you feel it? I'm hugging you right now. Dude, I'm <laughs> feeling the hug all the way over here. Oh yeah. Uh, all right. So, so Wedge, we were we discussed earlier in the show. So you did go to the pre-release for Oath of the Gatewatch, correct? Yes, sir. So we just kind of want to get your thoughts on that and, and Oath of the Gatewatch in general. Uh, we talked a little bit about modern, so we don't have you on for too too long. So we want to just get your your kind of quick thoughts on Oath of the Gatewatch and your thoughts on the modern ban list. All right, I could totally do that. All right, Oath of the Gatewatch Spark Notes number one. Better than Battle for Zendikar. Number two, <laughs> Surge is completely busted. Uh, let's see. Number three, it's still busted. Yeah. No, th those are those are the big things for me from pre-release. Uh, besides that, I love Two-Headed Giant. You, do you think, think... Yeah, what? so we talked about this. Do you think like Two-Headed Giant should be pushed more in pre-releases? Or you know, do you feel that it should be like a normal pre-release and then sprinkle that in when they can? Uh... I'm always a fan of utilizing a specific kind of format when it makes the most sense. I never liked forcing something if it didn't work. Uh, like, forcing it just for the sake of forcing it seems not a great idea. But saying that, I love Two-Headed Giant this time around, and I might have had a biased experience, but in a round I was playing, we were against a father and a son, and the son was nine years old, and it was 
the cutest thing I'd ever seen in my whole life, this two-headed giant match against this father and son. And, like, I feel like that's what... That's, like, the dream, right? Like, that's the ultimate pre-release experience for, like, a family. Like, Wizards, if they wrote it up any way, it would be that, right? So, I don't know. I thought it was great. Uh, if... I don't mind them trying to cater pre-release to Two-Headed Giant, but, I mean, Oath the Gatewatch was pretty clever. They'd have to do something similar again without, you know, ruining it. I don't know. I don't know. That's a tough question. It's funny that they say they designed it for Two-Headed Giant because I think all of the mechanics work better in 1v1. Like, Surge is too easy in Two-Headed Giant. It's not even a mechanic. It's just the actual cost of the card. And the yeah, real casting true. cost is the alternate cost for when your opponent, when your teammate can't cast spells. And support is way too easy in Two-Headed Giant. You're almost always going to have enough creatures except for support six. And even then, you'll get a lot more than you will in 1v1. Whereas in 1v1, you actually have to work to get your own creatures out before you play a support three thing. And then Cohort, you can't tap your teammate's allies. Not that that would have been reasonable to try to fit on the the text box, but that's a 1v1 mechanic, you know what I mean? So I think altogether it was fine for 2 a Giant. I enjoyed it, but them saying they designed it specifically for 2 a Giant feels a little odd. Well, what if they had more, but less impactful cards like Fall of the Titans? You know what I mean? Where, like, you had things that did really good stuff to two different people. Like, cards like Nettledrome became amazing, and Zulapur Cutthroat, stuff like that. Like, I like that it's kind of cool. different stuff, like Nettle Drone hitting each opponent. You have to know that it's better into a giant. But I think that uh, the third, oh, sorry, Clash of Titans, that just takes it too far. I think it's too busted into it a giant. Father, oh, we were, oh my gosh, we played, I played against Father Titans for two rounds, and we almost lost both rounds, regardless of board position, right in the moment that they cast Father Titans. I believe it. I mean, eight mana, that's 14 to your it's face, and then disgusting. you scale up or down from there. It's Yeah, it's nuts. Oh, yeah, Surge was super easy to cast. No, Surge is definitely busted. Uh, it's almost like, what is it? It's the um, draw, or the 3-3 the three, three flyer for three, just straight up, right? The common? Yeah. That card's yeah. stupid. It was you very hard to find a two-headed giant game that didn't have one of those cast by either team on turn three. It was yeah. You played all of them that you opened, and it was always good, because there aren't really other commons that stack up to it. I mean, there's good removal in the set, at least, but you always have to spend removal on it, or trade with, like your own Dwar Isle Avenger. Yeah, that's pretty good. Uh, I like right. pre-release, though, like, as far as that's concerned. I thought it was fun. I thought it was a really good casual event, and I think it catered yeah. more to the groups of people who come out for pre-release rather than F&M or, like, uh, yeah, you know, I, I think I think that was a good way to get more people out to, uh, to pre-releases to kind of make it a more of a group setting. Um, shifting gears... So we got the ban list a little early. Uh, what did you think of the modern ban list, Wedge? Uh, I mean, Amulet Bloom was obviously going to get banned yeah. out. Uh, that was clear. Splinter Twin, I was surprised. Uh, I woke up, or I, I was woken up at one in the morning uh, <laughs> to find out that Splinter Twin got banned, and then I By spent the, the next. the Splinter Twins crying across the country. Yeah, I, I could feel a disturbance <laughs> in the force, uh, and. I, I was outrageously... The first thing I thought was, wow, this was just printed, which brought me to they don't care if a card was just printed if they're going to ban it, which is great. Uh, and then, I I don't know, man. I, I, at first, I was just surprised. Then I was like, wow, this is like birthing... Like, what about all those birthing pod players that came to Splinter Twins? And then, <laughs> that was my second thought. And then I thought, I mean, the Pro Tour is coming up. It's just going to be a bunch of twin decks, right? 
and with Tron and I guess Eldrazi and Affinity and Infect and Burn and it, it's all stuff we know. And when I really sat down and thought about it, I was like, all right. I mean, this the band for Splinter Twin where I ended up was a band to make modern entertaining to watch, which was the entire purpose of a pro tour anyway. So why not? I don't know. I'm not crying. I, I'm not super invested. I wasn't like playing Splinter Twin. I wasn't against Splinter Twin. But now that it's been banned, you have people talking about decks like Scapeshift or Ad Nauseum or, you know, Merfolk again. And people are like, now we can main deck Blood Moons all the time. <laughs> and there's just so there's a lot more talking now than there was two weeks ago, is all I'm saying. Yes. It was been pointing out, pointed out in the chat, someone who needs no introduction, Chris Van Meter's in the house. What is up, Chris? Hey, how's it going? Just, just before we get, you know, just before we dive into what we were talking about, you kind of came in in the middle of a discussion. Chris, you nailed it at the, at the commentating. Well done, sir. That was awesome that you stepped in there. You did a, a really a hell of a job at the Star City Games uh, booth, and you, it was like, one of the better Star City games to listen to. I'm, I'm serious. I really am. Well done. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. I do have some big shoes to fill, uh, basically yeah. doing the role that Cedric does when he's on camera. Uh, but he felt like he, you know, he felt like I could do it, and uh, I had a lot of fun. Andy was great to work with, and I'm looking a lot of ex- I'm looking forward to Philly. Uh, it's my next show with Andy. We're doing the Legacy Open. That's going to be great. Yeah, so uh, you you just kind of jumped in at, at, at we were talking about the modern bannings and just to get your thoughts on that, what what did you think about the modern bannings? We got them a little early, so were you surprised or did you kind of have an inclination that those were cards that were on the table or or what? Uh, well, I I kind of saw that Summer Bloom was going to get banned, uh, even though I played the deck, I was a big proponent of Bloom being banned, even going as far back as my finals appearance at the Columbus Invitational last year in Season 2. Um, you know, we like did a pregame show type thing where, you know, they talked about what cards needed to be banned in Modern, uh, and even then I was on board with Summer Bloom actually being banned. Uh, the Splinter Twin ban uh, came as a little bit of a surprise, uh, but the more I sit down and think about it, uh, it feels very similar to Birthing Pod, uh, where it's just like, you know, this this archetype just just kind of pigeonholes the rest of the archetypes, and you know it's just just it's going to make the format a little a little bit more diverse. Like you, you can't really play a tempo style deck um, with Splinter Twin being available because Twin is just a better version of what you're trying to do. Yeah, just to interject here, Wedge, um, thanks for coming on. I, I know you have to bow out, but really, uh, we, we appreciate you coming on. That was awesome. Thanks for your time. Uh, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that. Congrats on one year. Peace. <laughs> See you, Wedge. Later, Thank Wedge. you, Wedge. Thank you. Um, but, yeah, I, do you, are, are you kind of agreeing on where everyone kind of feels that modern is going, or do you really feel that it's all up in the air at this point? Chris? Uh, Wizards has to do something about it. Like, we could tell from the initial announcement of all the Pro Tours being standard that from Modern's inception, it wasn't created and designed to be a Pro Tour format. They weren't going to have it be in the Pro Tours. 
because of the outcry, they ended up switching it up. We do have modern Pro Tours now, which is leading to them having to be very vigilant on making the format healthy and, you know, new and something that's, you know, that they can promote at their Pro Tour. Uh, and we're going through a lot of growing pains. Hopefully, you know, within the next couple of years, some some new sets are being printed with cards in it uh, to have an idea of being in modern. Um, it'll kind of even itself out. But as of right now, it can be real tough because the cards aren't cheap, and it leaves a bad taste in your mouth when you invest in a deck to get in the format, and then you just can't play your deck anymore. Um. Yeah, sorry, just answering questions. Uh, so yeah, everyone, uh, Chris, thanks for coming on. Um, a couple of uh, comments here. They miss you in the Versus series. Are we going to see something similar in the future? Uh, I hope. Uh, unfortunately, I'm out in Seattle now, no longer in Roanoke, so I'm like not in-house to where I can uh, do those types of videos. Uh, I had something in the works with Brian where we were going to do a Versus-style video through Magic Online and produce it that way. Uh, but since his departure at Star City is kind of putting that on the back burner since he's trying to figure some things out. But that is something that I want to, to do in the future. Just a, a Versus-style thing with the banter that Brian and I had when we were live on camera, but just do it through Magic Online. Yeah, that was a really good series. Um, sorry, yeah, everyone else on the cast... Um, Seth, I know you had uh, a few things you wanted to ask. Uh, I'm just going to keep answering questions, so just, just give me a minute. Uh, so, Chris, what uh, what are you going to play in your next Modern event? Or is that uh, not something you're willing to discuss yet? Uh, oh, I can definitely chat about it. My next Modern event I have coming up is going to be Star City Regionals because uh, I'm not qualified for the Pro Tour. And I'm honestly not quite sure what I am going to play. Uh, however... In preparation for Summer Bloom being banned, I started accumulating the pieces for Tron, which is what I was going to switch to. I think that with Splinter Twin gone now, Tron's going to have a big target on his head, so there's honestly a good chance that I just end up playing uh, some type of Burn or like a Nyazu deck similar to what uh, Patrick Sullivan was playing previously. Just going to wild and coddle people. So with, with Tron having a target on its head, is Cosmic's return over Pyroclasm enough of a bullet to uh, fight those aggro decks that are trying to run you over quickly? Or is it being a mana extra just just make it unplayable and everyone is wrong to think it slots into Tron? I have no clue, but I've heard a lot about it and it seems interesting. I think it does have some potential, but not killing three toughness creatures is, is going to be real hard. Like, you're going to have uh, Wild Nicodle, uh Peace Ali's Zoo deck was even playing Curd Ape. You can save a... Uh, uh, Monastery Swift Spear pretty easily for it. So the front half of it isn't going to be as effective since you're having to cast it a turn later. The back half is all obviously going to be good, uh, but I'm not sure that it's going to slot in as easily as people are thinking. Yeah, that was kind of my thoughts as well. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry if you wanted to continue have, that, Jake. Uh, or Seth. Uh, I wanted to ask, uh, have you had a chance to play with any of the new Eldrazi decks in Modern? Uh, I have played with them a little bit, and uh, I do expect them to be very good. Uh, in fact, shortly uh, after uh, they started to get popular, uh, I had mentioned in one of my articles that if the banning shake up the format, we could very easily see one or two of the pro teams uh, perfecting an Eldrazi list and putting a couple copies in the top eight. And I think that's exactly what's happened, and I would be I would be surprised if we don't see some number of them in the top eight. Do you have a favorite splash color at this point? I know I see all these different splashes, pretty much any color from mono black through all the splash colors. Is there one that sticks out to you as your favorite at the moment? 
it, it's going to depend on how well um, the, the the nameless inversion ends up playing. Uh, if that's going to be good enough with the black removal, I don't think that you'll need to splash a color. I think you could just stay mono black and get max value out of all of your orbs. And as far as Amulet Bloom itself, any chance it's still playable, or is it just dead without Summer Bloom? Uh, people are going to try, but Summer Bloom was the card that held that deck together, unfortunately. Yeah. Like, like you just play a, a full a full four Azusa if you wanted to, but you're just going to be you know, multiple turns behind. Like the the big benefit to that deck was that uh, there are these powerful hate cards that people could use to beat you. Things like Blood Moon, uh, you know, some discard things of that nature, but it just didn't matter because you could kill them on, on turn one or turn two. With the Sousa, like, you just don't have that possibility anymore. Um, just one quick question. Like, I know we kind of opened it up as where modern, where you feel modern is going, and I, and I think you're really spot on. You have a lot of great insight to that. Um, a lot of people have repeatedly asked us and just over social media, I don't know if they're asking you too, but um, they, they keep asking about Scapeshift, and a lot of people are talking about Scapeshift. Is that sort of a deck that people can now gravitate to from Twin? I mean, they're two totally different decks, but they're, they are similar in the sense that, you know, you're still kind of playing that four-mana card, like the gotcha card. Um, I don't know if really a lot of people are going to be one-for-one, one, like, moving to that deck list, but it is kind of one of the remaining blue deck lists in the format. What, what are your thoughts on Scapeshift's future? Uh, I think that Scapeshift does have some potential. Um, I know that before he moved on to Kiki Core, Jeff Hoogland was working on like a bunch of different Bring to Light Scapeshift builds. Uh, so I think that, that things like that might have some potential. Um, I think that decks like Blue Red Delver will have an actual spot in the meta now that there just isn't a better version uh, of that deck in Blue Red Splinter Twin. And I think that those types of decks are going to be difficult for the Scapeshift deck to, to, to do well against. Uh, just having, you know, efficient threats with, with disruption is enough to kill that deck. Uh, it's, I just don't think it's that good against those style of decks. Yeah. Um, another thing I wanted to bring up, uh, and rightfully so, because a lot of people, it, it never feels good to have a card like Twin Band, and, you know, the card has been around for a long time. A lot of people have gone, you know, gotten accustomed to either playing against it, playing it, um, having it in their, you know, in their gauntlet, and just knowing, you know, this card has been around for a long time. Um, I've discussed and, and kind of agree, do, do you think that there needs to be more of an open dialogue in, like, the direction Modern is going, to that, that wizards can kind of convey that cards are, are being considered or, or looked at like sort of a watch list. Because, I mean, I, like you said, you were kind of surprised. A lot of people were really surprised that Splinter Twin uh, got the axe. So does there need to be some sort of like open dialogue about that going like forward? Or is this just something that, that happens and people have to kind of just understand that? I feel like it's just going to have to be the kind of thing that just happens and people have to understand that. Um, the reason that the Splinter Twin ban is something that just came off the wall and people weren't really prepared for is, like, we just got really complacent with the format. Like, we have all these cards that are extremely powerful and some people think are unfun to play against and, you know, like to crusade uh, to get banned. But the fact was that, like, 
even though Splinter Twin was a pillar of the format, you just any deck that was like Splinter Twin was completely invalidated because of how good that Splinter Twin strategy was, which is very similar to the Birthing Pod ban. Switching gears and like kind of staying towards modern, um, have you had a lot of interaction with Oath of the Gatewatch and, and your testing? And how do you feel the deck or the the set? You know, closing out this block. How, how do you like the set overall? And do you feel it has a lot of modern implications as well as standard? Or will we not see that until really like April when uh, the first two sets of cons are kind of gone? I think it's going to have some implications uh, in modern and in standard, actually. Uh, in modern, Kozilek is very, very, very good. Uh, I'm going to slot right into the Eldrazi strategies. In addition to that, you get cards like Thought Not Seer, Matter Reshaper, and Reality Smasher, which are all very good rate for their mana that slot into that deck. And since you can cheat them out, since you have you know eight Ancient Tombs now, effectively, uh, it, it, those cards are very good, and it's really, really going to impact modern with the Eldrazi deck. As far as standard goes, uh, there are a handful of cards uh, that have a lot of potential, and I think the one that's being slept on the most right now is Chandra, Chandra Flamecaller. I think we're going to get to a point, uh, much like Elspeth Sun's Champion, where it was just something that people you know, thought they should play because it looked good on paper, and ultimately just ended up being busted. I think Chandra's the same way. Really interesting. Uh, I did not draw that comparison. I mean, you know, Elspeth kind of really did set the bar for six mana walkers. I, you know, on paper it doesn't seem like Chandra can live up to that, but um, I mean, I'm, I'm going to take your word for it. I mean, uh, I just, I didn't feel like Chandra was really at that level. I, I thought it was a good card overall, a strong walker, but um, yeah, that's a, that's a really good uh, comparison. I mean, I, I did not consider that. Yeah, she definitely does everything that you want a Planeswalker to be able to do, especially once they start reaching that 4, 5, and 6 mana echelon. Uh, it can protect itself, it has some way to generate card advantage, and it can just win the game all by itself. Like If, if you're able to land it against you know, like an Esper control player or just like some type of control deck that doesn't have any pressure on, or even if you're playing you know, some type of mid-range mirror uh, and neither of you are pressing each other but just jockeying for position, she is just a, a very good way to just end the game in a, in a couple short turns. And without some, like, Hero's Downfall being as ubiquitous in the format as it was when it was around, you know, there aren't a lot of cards that very easily answer it. All right, just answering questions. Uh, Seth, Richard, uh, by all means. So when will we see a Battle of the Beards? <laughs> and I who think... will judge this? How can we do this? <laughs> a battle of the beards. Well, the, the first thing we need to do is get me into Wizards R and D, so I can have that be a dual deck. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Barktooth Warbeard versus somebody. Who who has the best beard on a Magic card, CVM? Or isn't that something you've really looked into? On a Magic card, the, the best bearded Magic character. Uh, I think Balthor the Stout. I think Sphinx of Lost Truths has a pretty sweet beard. I'm going to have to look that up. That that good no, no. I'm, it's I'm not, sticking with Balthor. It's, it's, it's not Lost <laughs> Truths. It's the one one in Theros that you could untap it. Oh, Prognostic Yeah, Prognostic Sphinx has a sweet beard. That is a pretty, like, overflowing, like, large white beard. That is, like, a very awesome old man's beard. Wow. I have to say. I actually see the beard. All these times I actually looked at this card, I didn't realize. That's fantastic. 
There, there you go, Richard. One of the comments. MTG no. Goldfish brought to you by Gillette. MTG <laughs> sponsor. Sign them up. They actually <laughs> preserve the beard's awesomeness in the promo for Magic Online. Have you seen that? And how do you feel the Prognostic Sphinx promo compares to the original? In <laughs> legit question. Uh, I think that they both have their their ups and downs. <laughs> I respect them both. Um. So. Just getting back to, to modern and, and, and Oath of the Gatewatch and all this, how long do you set aside like a t- like time for yourself to really prepare for, you know, I, I know you mentioned your upcoming um, event that you plan on playing modern. How, how much time do you set aside for yourself to really test and make sure that you are playing the deck you want to play? Uh, well, it used to be not a lot of time when I was in Roanoke because we would, <laughs> we would usually just like, Dirtle around, play play a little bit, and then just like crash course a few days before we would travel to an event. Uh, but now that I'm out on the West Coast, I just kind of, as soon as I know that I'm going to go play in an event because they are a little more stretched out than they were when I was on the East Coast, I'll just start working on it. Whether it's playing on Magic Online or writing down deck lists or you know figuring out a metagame, trying to come up with sideboard plans. Uh, at this point, I just kind of give myself as much time as possible and and go from there. Uh, because my my events are a little more stretched out, there are times where I'll you know put a bunch of work into a deck, and then you know a couple weeks before something like this Eldrazi deck in Modern will pop up, and I'll be like, oh man, that seems sweet. Let's go ahead and switch. Uh, but for for the most part, I'm usually locked in um, you know, as soon as possible, whether whether it's you know a couple weeks or whatever. Sorry, just uh, answering some questions. Uh, so. Uh, looking through here, um, yes, it is Chris Van Meter. I, I, I guess they didn't know who it was. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, sorry, just uh, how do you feel about a Tarker Red for the SCG Atlanta Open by X Isles? Isles, I don't know. Uh. A Tarka Red is one of the decks that I think has a lot of potential, but I'm not sure the direction that you want to take it in. Uh, my article that comes out tomorrow on Star City, I have uh, a red deck uh, in in there that's trying to use uh, Reckless Bushwhacker uh, in the Atarka Red shell, and I still have some of the combo elements because I think you might be able to squeeze it all in, but it could just be possible that you want to go up to like 22 or 23 land, play a full four outburst, a full four bushwhacker, uh, and then just play some more burn and just be more of a traditional red deck instead of a full-on combo red deck. But I do think that being aggressive has the potential to be very, very good in the first week uh, for this new standard. The only linchpin to that is I don't think you have an insane matchup against four-color rally, and a lot of people could just be on four-color rally and you might write you know, run into some tough matches. How excited are you for Standard after April? I mean, Standard has been pretty diverse, but, I mean, after a while, I mean, I, I think, like, Fetches and Jace and, and all these cards have really steered the format. I get this question a lot, and I, and I just, I think a lot of people are really, like, excited about uh, April, and now that, like, this new block cadence is in place, like, do you feel that this is good for standard going forward, that they kind of break up this kind of, you know, monotony of, uh, you know, these cards staying in standard for such a long time? Uh, I do think it's good that they are breaking it up a little bit more now with the new block structure. Um, and I'm excited for for April to come because I think that 
it can be a little overwhelming when there's just literal infinite possibilities with the mana. And I think that the mana right now is too good. I feel like the way that we're stretching the mana isn't something that Wizards anticipated in, in their R&D, and I feel like the mana right now is too good and you can just basically do anything. And I don't think that's, you know, very conducive to a healthy format. I think there has to be some kind of restrictions um, as far as what you're able to do with the mana, because then that, you know, you, you would think that having infinite possibilities would give you more, you know, options for being creative, but there's always going to be the best cards, and it's like, you can do anything right now, but why are you not just playing Sea Trino? Which is what we started to see with those Mordu Green decks towards the end of, you know, this last standard format. So once once the rotation happens, and it goes back to having to, you know, actively build your mana base in a smart way, limiting the number of colors that you can play, taking advantage of all these sweet new colorless spells uh, that they have in Oath of the Gatewatch, I'm definitely looking forward to it. Yeah, speaking of colorless mana, uh, do you feel that it was a little awkward the way they introduced such a, like, a paramount change? I know, technically, like, the the game has, you, the way they worded it, that colorless mana has kind of always been a thing, but do you feel that maybe it was integrated? I, I know we, kinda got, we kind of got a huge leak and it left everyone really confused, but do you feel that that's kind of a change that they should make, like, opening up a block, or it, was it weird that it kind of ended on such, like, a, a change like that? Uh, I do um, think that it would have been better to come in the opening block, uh, and I think that Mark Rosewater addressed this uh, because they, they, they wanted to have all of the colorless creatures and these spells be in the second side of the block and not in the first side of the block, which is why they, which is why they waited to implement it, um, which... Which, which shows, like, there were a lot of just, like, random lands in Battle for Zendikar that produced colorless mana that were just like, why are these lands even in this set? And then it starts to make a little more sense when we get Oath of the Gatewatch. Uh, I kind of wish that it would have been something a little bit bigger that they implemented at the start of a block, since we'll have more colorless, you know, creatures or whatnot. Uh, but I'm hoping that it just kind of translates over into Shadows over Innistrad, and we have, you know, some more support for the colorless theme, because I think it's pretty sweet. Speaking of the colorless cards, do you think any of these cards are good enough to see playing standard right away, or are they going to get pushed off until rotation because the mana is just so good? Are people going to change up the fetch land for BFC dual mana base just to have colorless sources in their deck to cast Thought Not Seer or something? Yeah, like adding pain lands, etc. I hope so. <laughs> um, like, yeah. I, th I think that... Um, if you're going to go that route, one of the ways to do it is to just reduce the number of colors that you're playing, and it's just going to depend on if there are the cards that are available to support that. One of the lists that I have in my article that comes out tomorrow um, is just like a mono-red deck with four Chandras in it, using um, Hedron Crawler as your mana accelerant, uh, and then you get to play basically all of the colorless creatures, because you can play you know, like four Seagate Wreckage, and then even play like some Battlefield Forge or... Um, uh, uh, to, to give you your red mana but also produce colorless. So like cut, cutting down the colors is one way to give you access to those colorless creatures. And my gut tells me that they are powerful enough to, to warrant trying to do that, uh, but it's going to depend on if it's something that catches on. Why one or the other, Seth? Have, have it all. I challenge you now. Are you ready? <laughs> it's going to be against the odds, six color control. You get Thought Not Seer, <laughs> Chandra Flame Caller, Dig Through Time, and Siege Rhino all in the same, all in the same deck. Go. go, go, go. Start brewing. 
Sounds like it starts out with four radical mystic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, just a question for you from the chats, uh, Chris. Um, thoughts on Thought Not Seer? I think it's one of the best cards in the set. Uh, it's going to see a lot of play in Modern, and uh, it's going to end up being one of the, the best cards in Standard uh, once the rotation ends. Awesome. Another question. What was your favorite limited environment? Uh, my favorite limited environment was Triple Innistrad. That's one of the limited environments that I played the most of, uh, the other being Triple Mirrodin and then Mirrodin Darksteel. Um, but I played a lot of Triple Innistrad, a lot of Triple Innistrad. In fact, during that PTQ season, I lost in the finals of four PTQs. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> have, have you been crushing the flashback drafts then, since we're in the, the Mirrodin stage on Magic Online, or haven't you been playing them? Uh, I've played a couple uh, that I did well in, uh, but I, I haven't been playing them as much. Are you still are you still streaming uh, on a regular basis? Not on a regular basis uh, uh, for now, uh, since I do have some real life stuff going on. But that is, again, something that I, I, I love doing it and looking forward to getting back to it. I always Congrats enjoy watching you, so yeah, oh, I'll be looking yeah. forward to it too. Yeah, you definitely have to catch him playing Diablo. It's fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, the new season started. I might have to fire that back up. Hey, I, I, I tweeted it to you. you. You should definitely get on. It's the best time to play. Yeah, for sure. It's a new patch. is insane. But, um, yeah, oh, congrats uh, on your engagement, too. I never really got oh. to tell you that. Well, thank you. I appreciate congrats it. Congrats on that. Yeah, very good. Um, quick question from the chat. What do you think standard would look like now and after rotation with cons and fate reforge is gone? So when the rotation happens, cons, fate reforged, and origins leaves. Is that right? No, just cons and fate reforged. Just cons and fate reforged. So yeah. origins will still be around. Yes. Um. I think we're going to see a lot of two color decks, a lot of yeah. mono mono color and two color decks. Uh, I think that. Um. Hedron, unless they print another two mana mana accelerant, I think Hedron Crawler is going to end up being very important, especially as a way to cast some of the the impressive colorless creatures that we have. Um, but I think it's just going to be in a lot of two color decks, and you're going to you know have to have ways to stymie aggressive decks for sure. Yeah, it's a hard question. I mean, we we don't know anything about Shadows over Innistrad, so that's like not even in the equation right now. Uh, but um, how do you feel about return returning back to Innistrad? I'm excited. It's you know, one of my favorite formats. You know, one of my favorite like the the whole lore surrounding it was pretty sweet. Uh, I kind of get into that sometimes. I'm looking forward to see what they're able to do, and I just really like like the the reimagining of these iconic characters that they're doing when we go back to these planes. So I'm excited to see what some of the the iconic people in uh, in Innistrad have turned into since we've been gone for a few years. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I mean, I loved Triple Innistrad as well. I, it was really the last time I ever drafted, and I don't think you can get much better when you first pick a, a Blood Gift Demon, second pick a Reaper of the Abyss, and you still lose the draft. I mean, that's like uh, <laughs> I think that's like the pinnacle of my limited career right there, and things just went down the drain. 
Yeah, it was it was just a very well designed set for limited. Like there were so many different archetypes that you could have. You know, a full pot of eight people that had eight playable decks, eight good decks, and there yeah. there are not not very many limited formats where that's a possibility. And I'm hoping that this next time around is going to be designed just like that. Yeah, I definitely figured out that like drafting bombs like that had like no bearing on winning the game. Yeah. Uh, there yeah, was just a lot a of good cards. Powerful card. <laughs> yeah. Um. Quick couple of questions. Does Geist become competitive in modern with Twin Gone? Geist of St. Traft, I'm assuming. Possibly. Uh, yeah, like, I, I could see some, some sort of Geist deck. I think that Twin Being Gone does open up the, the, the options for a Blue X deck, Blue X Tempo decks to, to have a shot again. I'm not sure where the best... Um, the slot for Geist ends up being, uh, but uh, I imagine that uh, all of the Team Geist supporters out there will be on at ASAP. Ooh, uh, Steven, uh, in terms of uh, bearded cards, uh, Uncle Esteban. Oh, yeah, that, that was that, a good one. Yeah. Uncle Esteban does have a sweet beard. Um, uh, Jared Strauss, what are your opinions of uh, on the new Nissa for Modern? Uh, Voice of Zendikar, I'm assuming. In Modern? I haven't really thought about her applications in modern. Um, I'm not quite sure where she would fit in. Like, you definitely would want to play her in a deck that has uh, a bunch of mana creatures. But then at that point, is it better to just play Domini Raid? I'm not not quite sure. Uh, yeah. It also, with Abrupt Decay around, like, your three-mana Planeswalker has to get a lot of mileage when it lives. Uh, and, you know, the decks that would want Nissa probably would also want Domini Raid. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting close to the end, so just trying to wrap things up. Um, just trying to get some more questions. Uh, just uh, one thing I kind of wanted to ask. Um, uh, kind of just can't remember how I wanted to phrase this. Um, I, I know you talked a lot about you know Oath of the Gatewatch on the stream, and and you know you kind of highlighted a couple of cards. Um, what did you think about, like, like if you had to, like, it, I don't know where I was going with this. Like, the, the overall, like, effect of Colorless uh, going forward, is that is that something, do you think, we'll, that we will see that recurs in, a, a, like, blocks down the road? Or do you feel like this was kind of like a one-time thing? I hope that it will be something that we'll see later because it opens up a very unique design space that we haven't seen before. They've essentially added a sixth color, um, which is something that's really interesting because the this idea of the colorless mana is something that John Jonathan Luox pitched in his Great Designer Search finals. Um, that all, the majority of the the judges were like, no, this isn't right. You didn't go about this the right way. And then ultimately, you know, ten years later, we end up using the exact same idea that, that John Lewox pitched in his finals. Uh, but it, I think that it's something that we're going to see further on down the line, um, especially since we don't really know where Emrakul is yet. So there's obviously going to be car- Emrakul-centric cards at some point. Uh, and hopefully it just doesn't end there uh, because the design space that it opens up is really interesting. <laughs> Um, I'm being asked to ask you about Evolutionary Leap. You tried Evil Leap Elves, uh, but you didn't try it like after that. Did you lose interest, and can the card be real for modern? 
uh, I did kind of lose interest, um, and I was just I felt that Bloom was just the best deck, so I went back to playing Bloom. But with the bands, uh, there is the potential for that deck. Uh, to be honest, it had some very explosive draws, and you know, being able to kill on turn two isn't something that a lot of decks can do, and that deck actually has the, the ability to do that. So uh, it, it might be worth uh, checking out again, to be honest. Gabriel asks uh, about Dredge. Do we ever see a Dredge, a viable Dredge archetype in Modern? I don't think so, <laughs> unfortunately. Scavenger News yeah, yeah. is so good, uh, but then, like, how are you going to beat these Eldrazi, these Eldrazi decks that are actively wanting to play for Relics <laughs> in their main because it's part of their game plan? Yeah, I... It, it, it would have been nice, but then Eldrazi came along running four Relics main, and, like, that's something they want to do. So uh, as much yeah, as I, I do, like... I think it was round two uh, in Charlotte where Jerry was on Dredgevine. Yes, yes. The guy... <laughs> it was just a massacre. Yeah. Uh, I was actually on... Uh, I was tuning in when uh, Ali Antrazi uh, mulligan down to four... And, and played it on turn four? Yeah, the astonishment like from you two in the booth was like, I really can't believe what I'm seeing. Like, that was insane. Yeah. So was Living End just going to quietly die with these Eldrazi <laughs> decks becoming better? Is it just going like, to... No one's even talking about it that I've heard, but I, I can't imagine it's very good if one you know, can the Eldrazi hope. matchup is a high percentage of the field. One can only hope. <laughs> Not a huge fan of Living End, are you? Or, or just graveyard strategies in general? Uh, no, just more so just the Living End deck. I think that it's, <laughs> I don't know, I don't think it's very good. I know there are a lot of people that like it. I just I just don't think it's very good, and I uh, just kind of want it to go away. <laughs> well, it probably will go away. Uh, any kind of uh, last-minute things from, from the crew here? Um, Chris, I mean, really, thank you so much for, for coming on and being part of the cast. Uh, we're kind of wrapping things up, so if anyone has, like, kind of last-minute out the door things. Um, you know, we're hitting nine o'clock. Uh, I, thank you for giving us some of your time, Chris. It's been awesome. And yeah, th really, th thanks for having me, and congratulations on one full year. Thanks so much. I mean, yeah, I, it's really good to to know that you're going to be doing commentary in the future. It really, you really did a really good job. I mean, well, it's thank awesome. You. Yeah. Uh, to anyone out there who doesn't know CVM, I mean, really, he does it all. He's a, he's a man of many talents. Uh, you can see him on Star City Games. Uh, you have a lot of Versus videos in the archive. Uh, you do commentating. You do Twitch. You, you, you're pretty much uh, into everything. I try. <laughs> Thanks so much, Chris, for your time. Thanks, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right, everyone, I think we are going to wrap things up. Uh, any kind of final thoughts from anyone here on the panel? But before we go, yeah, go ahead. we'll each say our favorite moment from the one year of podcasts we've done to wrap it up. Oh. <laughs> we'll, we'll start with Seth, just to right. put him on the spot. <laughs> well, my, my favorite moment is a moment that the audience never gets to hear because it's always edited out, but... <laughs> Every single podcast, I think from like podcast 10 to podcast 52, every week we go to start the podcast 
and Chaz does not remember what episode we're doing. So we have to spend like three minutes trying to figure out what episode it is. And then like half the time he still gets it wrong after that. So so that's been my highlight of the year. Is just It's been great working with you guys and tons of fun, but it's always funny because we have such a hard time with the episode number. Yeah, I think maybe it's not a best uh, time, but I think every episode we go out of our way to... I don't know if it's intentional, but we definitely mess up a lot of names on this cast, and whether it be cards or uh, or people's names. I mean, I don't know how many times. And again, this is something that the listeners don't hear that I edit out. Uh, I don't know how many times you've called it Sierra Angel, like Sierra <laughs> Mist. Like I don't like I, I I edit that out so you look better, buddy. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I think Sierra Angel is probably like the the best card that they should definitely make. Out of this, uh, if they ever make Sierra, I, I like Kozalik. I like Kozalik. Yeah, yeah. I, like, I like Amulet Bloom to go with uh, eggs. Yeah, <laughs> Sierra, Sierra Angel, Sierra Ascendant. Uh, lots of Sierra cards. We're, we're I, sponsored by a, a soda company now. Do I say Amulet Bloom wrong? <laughs> amulet. You, you don't say Amulet. You say amulet. like Amulet. Closer That's a New amulet. York thing. Don't let them take that uh, away from you, man. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely a New York thing. All right. Just like it's it's water. It's water. Yeah, water. Yeah. It's actually water. <laughs> <laughs> there's no D in water. Like, I think there's just like, it's amulet, like, but it's amulet. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think people have come to expect it from me at this, at this point, so. Yeah. Uh, uh <laughs> we need a Sierra Angel altar. It's <laughs> oh, dude, that that would be so sick. I'm gonna get one. That would be amazing. <laughs> just, a, just a Sarah Angel holding a can of Sierra Mist. It's the most refreshing <laughs> of the angels. <laughs> oh man, um, Tomer, Jake, you've been on uh, cast a few times, uh, or and I'm assuming you've listened. So, what what were your favorite takeaways from this past year? Honestly, I was going to call out Seth for his mispronunciation. <laughs> it's even more hilarious the, the, the amount of crap you give him for it, too, which is fantastic. You know why, right? Because at the beginning of each cast, we're like, okay, it's Sarah Angel. <laughs> we literally do. You don't know, you don't know how many times. The card names, and we like, okay, hold on, we'll Google this. We'll figure out how to pronounce this word. Yeah, so uh, wrong anyway. <laughs> Everyone that, that just to fill these in, just like an insider story from th- that everything's coming out from the one year. We actually had to have like a sit down for like ten minutes and actually discuss that. Like we can't try to like butcher every single name on cast, and it was <laughs> becoming a legitimate problem. <laughs> I feel like there should be a little counter, like a mispronunciation. We have gone zero days <laughs> without mispronunciating a card. Oh, Muttervault. Muttervault's a good oh, one. Oh, that was a good one. That was a really good one. That made, that made sense to me because it like a mixed breed dog is a mutt and <laughs> Muttervault is all creature type, so I, it just Muttervault made sense. But I guess that, that was wrong too. Yeah, Jake, uh, Tomer, thanks for coming on. It was it was awesome to have you guys here. Thanks for having us. It was great to be here. Congrats all right, everyone. Anniversary. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I mean, we are looking forward to a lot of good casts coming up this year. We're going to try and switch things up and, and always keep things uh, hip and popping uh, on this uh, on this cast. So, everyone, thanks so much for, for joining in. I think we're going to wrap things up, unless you have anything else to add, anyone, uh, uh, Seth or Richard. 
No, uh, just thanks everyone for tuning yeah. in. I mean, it was fun. Uh, hopefully sometime we can do another live cast and uh, take some more questions because it was a good time. Yeah, and uh, I think in the future we might strongly consider doing this at maybe and and uh, like when we can, when we can get to it, a cast solely based on answering fish mail because it's getting uh, out of control. <laughs> we have to try to answer as many as we can. So if we if if it builds up, uh, we have talked about you know in the future maybe devoting some time to or adding additional time just for fish mail. Everyone, thank you for the support over this year. Uh, continue. To, to do so, and we'll continue to bring you the best podcast we can. Uh, Richard, Seth, it's, it's been phenomenal working with both of you thus far. Indeed, you guys too. It's been a blast. Yes. Yeah, it's surprising it's been a year already. It just feels like uh, yesterday when we were like, how does the Skype thing work? And Seth <laughs> can never connect, and we can never get a call recorded. Yeah. Here we are, one year later. Yeah, here we are. Um, to many more, uh, thank you everyone for joining in. We are going to uh, end this cast on a high note and tune in next week. Um, for anyone out there, I think we're going to release the audio in addition to this uh, this live uh, cast that you can watch on the YouTube channel. So again, everyone, thanks for joining in. We're gonna we're gonna see you guys next time.